Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we have a special privilege this week because the Feast of St. Peter and Paul lands on a Sunday. So we have a chance to reflect on these two great pillars of the early church, two of the greatest saints in all of Christian history. Maybe the first thing we notice about Peter and Paul is how flawed and imperfect they were. One of the marks of biblical revelation is that the Bible never glamorizes. It never lionizes its heroes. Think, for example, in the Old Testament, one of the greatest heroes is King David, and indeed he is a hero, chosen by God, did great things. But David was also an adulterer and a murderer. The Bible doesn't gussy up its heroes, turn them into legends. Rather, their flaws are usually pretty clearly on display. We see it, of course, in the case of these two great heroes, Peter and Paul. What do we know about Peter? Well, frankly, not all that much, but we can piece together a few facts. Peter was a Galilean fisherman of the first part of the first century. Notice, please, he wasn't poor. That's a bit of a misperception that Jesus' disciples were, were abjectly poor. That's really not right. Peter was a fisherman who had his own boat, therefore he had a certain amount of prosperity. We know, too, from archaeological records that Galilean fishermen did business all through Palestine, selling their fish as far away as Jerusalem, and even to ports in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. They would preserve the fish somehow, and they'd send them around. So here's someone who was not abjectly poor, not rich by any stretch, but we might say small businessman owning and operating his own business. Peter was not well-educated. He spoke, obviously, his native Aramaic, Jesus' language. But he probably knew a little bit of Greek. You'd need some Greek to do business in that part of the world. Maybe he could read and write at a rudimentary level, but probably nothing too sophisticated. We know that Peter was married, because the Gospels clearly speak about his mother-in-law. In ordinary, probably hard-working, we'd say middle-class businessman, married man. Notice, please, he's not a priest, he's not a scholar, not someone you'd pick out naturally as a religious type. Rather, I always think of Peter as the kind of guy you'd meet at the corner tavern, the neighborhood tavern. We also see very clearly in the Gospels his flaws. Chosen by Jesus, yes, but Peter, time and time again, doesn't get it. 
He's almost a foil in the Gospels. Jesus says something, and then Peter reveals that he didn't understand it. And that causes Jesus to make further clarifications. We see it probably most dramatically after his great confession. When Peter has the grace to say, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. But then immediately after, when Jesus says, now I'm going to go and I'm going to be crucified, and Peter says, Lord, heaven forbid that that happen to you. And Christ says, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Or when Peter is walking on the water, trusting in the Lord, but then he looks around, he looks away from Jesus and begins to sink. No more dramatically are his flaws on display than during the time of Christ's passion. Christ is washing the feet of his disciples. Peter says, Lord, this this will never happen. You will never do this to me. Revealing once again that he doesn't get it. And then, of course, at the moment of truth, "You're, you're one of his disciples. I can tell from your accent. You're one of them. I tell you, and the gospel says, as he swears... I tell you, I do not know the man. Denied him. Betrayed him at the moment of truth. A cardboard cutout hero? Hardly. A plaster saint? Hardly. An ordinary man with his virtues and plenty of vices. There's St. Peter. What about Paul? Well, in some ways, Paul and Peter are a study in contrast. Paul was, by all accounts, more sophisticated than Peter. He's from the town of Tarsus, a Roman town near the southern coast of present-day Turkey. He was part of the Jewish diaspora, a Jew but in this more Hellenized and Roman world. Certainly better educated than Peter. We know from Paul's letters that he, he wrote Greek in a very lively way, And it also gives evidence of training in rhetoric and philosophy. So Paul was, by all accounts, more sophisticated than Peter. More to it, he was a great student of the Jewish tradition. While still a young man, Paul, of course he was born Shaul, Saul, we say, as a young man he makes his way to Jerusalem to study at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamaliel was one of the leading rabbis of the time. It's a bit like a a clerical student, you know, going to Rome for his studies. Someone in the Middle Ages going to Paris for his advanced studies. So young Shaul, this probably sophisticated, bright young man, goes to Jerusalem and studies under Gamaliel. While there, Saul becomes the kind of figure that we are unhappily familiar with today. What I mean is he becomes a bit of a violent religious fanatic. By his own admission, Saul became passionate for the traditions of his people, passionate for the Jewish tradition. And he saw a group that was at odds with that tradition. He saw the first Christians the followers of Jesus, and they infuriated him. All these novelties, this claim that Jesus is the Messiah, these crazy people undermining the best traditions of their people, I, Saul, will become their enemy, full of religious fanaticism, 
self-righteousness, he pursued them. Listen to how the Bible describes Saul's style. In chapter 7 of the Acts, we hear that when St. Stephen was being stoned, the first martyr, young Saul stood at the side, and the people laid their cloaks at his feet, and that Saul approved of this stoning, almost presiding over the scene. Then this, Saul was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women and committing them to prison. Quite a vivid image, isn't it? In other words, Saul was not just a distant, abstract, intellectual critic of Christianity. Here's someone that was out there in the streets, going into people's homes, dragging them to prison. Strong violent, fanatical. How about this, the beginning of chapter 9 of Acts. Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. We're not messing around here. Threats and murder. Saul goes off to Damascus to further persecute the church. You know, N.T. Wright is a biblical scholar who has specialized in Paul. N.T. Wright said that several years ago, when that young Jewish man shot Itzhak Rabin, do you remember? Rabin had been negotiating peace, and this young religious devotee, convinced that Rabin was undermining the traditions of his people, shot him in cold blood. N.T. Wright said that when the camera caught this young man's face, and he saw it on TV, he said, I am looking into the face of of Saul of Tarsus. It's a good comparison, isn't it? It's a good comparison. Young, energetic, fanatical, violent for the law, willing, yes, even to murder. Peter, ordinary guy, full of a lot of flaws and vices. Saul, fanatical, violent, even murderous. Two deeply flawed people. Both chosen by Jesus Christ for his purposes. Listen, not because they were so obviously great. Not because they were obviously saints. Just the contrary. Precisely in their weakness, in their imperfection, these two people are chosen by Jesus Christ for his purposes when Peter confesses, Lord, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, no mere man has revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. And because of this, you are Peter. And on this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, because of my grace, because of my grace, you have become the rock. And Saul, breathing murderous threats on the way to Damascus, is struck down by a light, and then he hears a voice, Shaul, Shaul, why are you persecuting me? At that moment, Saul becomes Paul, the apostle, as he realizes that Jesus Christ has called to him. And through his grace, he's been made into a new person. Christians, the first great lesson of this feast is, God is not waiting for us to be saints before he calls us, just the contrary. We, ordinary, flawed, sinful people, 
are made saints, are made great through God's grace, through Christ's call. Ordinary Joes like Peter, even murderers and fanatics like Saul, can be transformed by grace into saints. Well, you say, okay, you know, that's great. They were chosen, they were called, and then all was great after that. Read the Bible more carefully. The end of John's Gospel, the Lord says to Peter, Peter, when you were a young man, you tied your own belt and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're an old man, someone else will tie you up and take you where you do not want to go. Christians, grace costs. Because grace always means mission and discipleship. When Christ breaks into your life and he reforms you, that means he's going to send you on a mission. And he's going to draw you beyond yourself in a way that you never imagined. Can you imagine St. Peter, let's say a year before he met Jesus, would he ever in his wildest dreams have imagined that he would die a martyr's death in Rome? Rome? He never dreamed of going to Rome. Never dreamed such a thing would happen to him. And yet that's the call. That's the implication of grace. And with Paul, he's an instrument, the Lord says, whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Saul was called, he's transformed, he becomes Paul the Apostle, and all is great. I will show you how much you have to suffer for my name. Shipwreck and beating and torture and exile and finally, yes, execution, martyrdom in Rome. Paul too pays the ultimate price because the grace of Christ calls us to mission and to discipleship. There's our great lesson. On this feast of Peter and Paul, we sinners too are called. And that means that we are called to self-offering. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. You want the kids to eat healthy foods. They want fast foods and sugary snacks. What's a parent or school administrator to do? Call FSP. We provide nutritious, kid-tested, kid-approved meal service to area schools. Our quality breakfast, lunch, and snack plans are easy to implement and affordable. Take the guesswork out of mealtime by calling FSP at 773-385-5100. FSP, we're more than a school food service.